Your only job at a you know 40 million plus company is is recruitment. It's like I said, I think people just naturally resist it because they built the, a business and they're like, you're always trying to think of ways I don't need this extra person or I can find somebody junior and they will grow with the company. That's not a reality, unfortunately. Wow, that's a, a big slap in my face. <laughs> <laughs> hey, bootstrappers, welcome to Bootstrap Stories, the podcast where founders, marketers, and thoughtful leaders share the most actionable tips on building a success successful business. After meeting with hundreds of bootstrappers in the past years, I figured out that we all struggle to grow our businesses. But the truth is that most of us don't know where to ask for help or advice. That's why I decided to start this podcast, to give you all the keys to succeed at every stage of your business, all the tested strategies for solving your struggles and taking your business to a new level. No fluff, no bullshit, only a real talk between friends that help each other succeed. Today, my guest for this episode is Ross Andrew Packett, CEO and co-founder of Maropost. Hey, Ross, thanks a lot for joining us on the Bootstrap Secrets. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited to chat about like Maropost. And before doing the intro, I'd love for you to give us a bit of an overview of when you started and where you're at right now. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we started back in 2011. I mean, business has been exceptional. I don't know if you know the backstory, but we, um, or I originally started the company to have more of a, a lifestyle business. So I was working in in the software industry and I was going to have maybe 10 customers do a half a million year in revenue, sit by the pool. And, um, you know, I was always very keen on the product side. So we definitely didn't stop developing, but um you know, coming to around 20, uh, 2014, 2015, the revenue of the business just skyrocketed. We went from about 300,000 in revenue to 26 million in revenue wow. in, about, in about 28 months. And we only had, I think we only had about 15 people in the company uh, <laughs> at that time or tw 12 even. So we, you know, we grew ex exponentially. I was the, the sales rep, the support rep, the finance person and so on. But uh, yeah, so now we're we're 330 people, give or take, um, operating in you know uh, uh, four key geographies: so North America, Australia, New Zealand, um, and now as of uh, uh, late into Europe as well, where where I'm based, just the same. So it's been uh, a really exciting journey, that's for sure. Now that's crazy. And uh, what's your current uh, kind of like ARR? Um, yeah, so we're over 50, under 100. Okay, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Awesome. And so, so when you reached like that, uh, 26 million in, uh, yeah. 2014, was it or 2015? No, so that would have been 20, 20, it would have been 28 months around. So it was 2016 into 2017. Okay. And at that time you were just like 20 people or something. Yeah, like correct. That. Yeah, exactly. That's crazy. So yeah. what, what was like kind of the, the biggest challenge transitioning from being 20 people up to right now where you're like 300 employees? Absolutely. So, I mean, for us, it's been, you know, a decent journey, seven years or so, you know, from, from that state. And it was really just a lot of the infrastructure that's required, but, you know, as a scaling business, we're still going through that today. We're still upskilling our people. We're still hiring people who have, you know, a much more uh, executive centric focus, or, or I guess you'd say more scaling focus. So that was a really big area of, of, of the businesses in, you know, it's one thing to, it's really one thing to take, go from zero to 5 million. You know, there's all this conversation, zero to five, five to 20 and so on. Um, I think this is the hardest time because 
it's not about me anymore. I, you know, I'm not selling the customers. I'm not managing <laughs> tickets and so on. So we've really got to have these, these phenomenal people coming in who, you know, have, have done that before they've gone from 50 to 200, you know, uh, 200 employees to 2000. And, um, it's been a great learning experience and also very, you know, helpful in terms of, of my growth in terms of how, how the business operates. And what, uh, to you like you know because when you're a team of 20 and then you have yeah. to scale like to 300 you mentioned yeah. that you started hiring like uh, key people that could help you like scale yeah. and and reach that type of levels but what what was kind of like uh your do you feel like they were i don't know like a milestone that you reached that felt kind of weird or time where you didn't really have like uh, your role or your role evolved and how did you actually like uh, train yourself to grow at the same time as the company, yeah. if not faster? Yeah, that, that's the, I mean, I wouldn't say it's the easy part. The, uh, sorry, the easy part is growing with the business if you're the founder of the business and so on. I, should, I shouldn't say it's easy. It's not easy, but that was pretty easy uh, for myself. What What is or has been difficult is, is, again, that approach you just described, right? When you're 30, 40, 50 people, right? You're, kind, you're, you're a little family, you know, you have conversations about product development. It's, it's, it's so much easier to take that approach. And then when you're 300, and as I said, it's not about Ross's view on a, on a feature being built or a customer segment or entering into new market. It's really having the ability for you to influence the people supporting or building the business who are then supporting the people below them and so on and so forth, which then gets you down to the customer. And you know, within the market, the software or SaaS market, there's so many 30, 40, 50 person companies. But when you think about the, you know, the numbers or the disparity between those two, you know, there's not that many in this really kind of scale up uh, arena. And that shift, I guess, back to your question from the 40, 50 family style business or operating model to the 300 more institutionalized model, it's very different. Um, and, and you go through a lot of pain through all those steps of trying to get there. You hire, you know, the wrong people, you hire the right people. So, so there's some, some pros and cons there. You know, you, you, you don't spend enough time on the infrastructure of the business, some of the systems and systematic and process and procedure, you know, everybody's different because they have the things that they like and they don't like. And, uh, I guess for us, it was, it was a very stepped approach. And now when I look back a lot of, you know, areas of pain, but, you know, there was definitely so much learning taking place. And what was for you like the the top uh, three challenges that you had to overcome going from 50 to 300 people? Yeah, I mean, the people is number one, hiring the right people, firing the wrong people. Uh, the, the system side of things, as I mentioned, I've always had a keen focus personally on that front, but only until recently. So a, a friend of mine who's also an advisor at Meropost from a company called Vidyard, if you're familiar with them. Yeah, absolutely. He, he, he really took me through a lot of what they're doing. I was like, they, if they're at 100, <laughs> we're at 5%. Like they just did a phenomenal job. And, and so I guess what I'm saying there is just that systems process procedure side of things. Like it really sets you up for success if you can do it up front. I wish right. I did that. <laughs> just just to make it sure, like to understand when you're talking about like processes and everything, are you talking yeah. for employee uh, onboarding, helping them learn new things? Uh, more on the customer side. Ah, okay. Yeah. So thinking more of like when, you know, when you're acquiring hundreds or thousands of new customers per year, which, which Maripost does, what are we, you know, how are we efficiently moving them through, 
you know, the, the onboarding process, how are the implementation, the, the uh, uh, you know, new feature rollouts that are occurring, how do they interact with customer success and support, right? You can't just sign up for Zendesk at this size or, or Freshdesk or something and hope ticket management is going to solve it. There, there really is a science to, to all of that. And, and the more data you have and the better you can represent it, of course, the easier it's going to be to make decisions and be successful. But it, it wasn't that easy for us. It was very <laughs> painful. Yeah. And uh, something you mentioned also, you know, is uh, about like firing the, the wrong people, like explaining that like, yeah. it's not a fit. I was chatting with another CEO the other day we, who basically told me that the way they were hiring, it was actually interesting. Like they hire like really in batch. So large mm -hmm. group of people. Then after about like four months, they wait for another like two to three months to see, you know, like uh, who's kind of like uh, performing and uh, kind of like reevaluating everyone. And then, you know, like uh, they, they would rehire like if they need. What's kind of like your process or what have you seen working well whenever it comes to hiring? That's a great, it's a tough question because hiring is very difficult right now in the market for everybody. It doesn't matter if you're software, manufacturer, everyone. Um, where, where we really focus on is, is that experience aspect, right? So I think it's, I think we're in this stage and I think, I mean, we're definitely in the stage right now where people are moving up in their roles. People are moving jobs on literally like an, you know, annual or even, you know, six month basis, which I don't agree with, of course, but to each their own. And so really being able to sift through the profiles, the candidates or sourcing your own and ensuring that they actually have the experience to do the job you're looking for, especially when you think of those senior, those senior hires, right? As in, there's people right now going from management level or manager level positions to vice president level positions because that's what the market, being a, an employee's market, is, is dictating. And so that's where a lot of mistakes I think are happening with a lot of companies where then six months after that, as you're describing, it's really impacting the results they're seeing because you know, this was the only person they could hire and that person was a director, somebody else. So well, let's hire them as a VP. But then in reality, they don't have any of the experience that was really required. So it, it is very difficult. There's no silver bullet to it. I mean, we've, we've gone through a lot of motions. But I, the other thing I, I would say, you know, for any, any founders is make sure when you're hiring some of these senior people that these are people who are going to bring potentially a team or, or other members from their, their network. If I actually could go back and I, and I look at all the, you know, kind of more senior hires we've made over the last 10 years, the most successful ones were the ones who brought or who bring people with them, right? The people who, because they, that means they fostered that relationship. That means they were really successful to us. We're like, people aren't, you know, maybe not, maybe today's a bit different meaning 2022 here in April, but people don't just leave their jobs to go somewhere unless the person that they're going to join has was a, such a high performer that they want to be a high performer with them. And two, that ultimately they will be more successful in this new role with that individual leading, you know, whatever department, whatever division it, it might be. So I think that's just, that's so important. Um, and I've not always done that. That's for sure. No, I, I agree with you. And have you, like, have you started to set up like uh, OKRs like very early for your team? So you can no. like kind of, <laughs> no, yeah, not very early. No, like okay. last year, very right. early. Yeah. So we, we Maripost is a bit different in that regard. And, and I, I know we'll talk about sort of the bootstrap components to it, but we didn't have any of the coaching, the guidance, the, the mentorship in this regard, right? We didn't have 
investors that that were coming with a playbook and being like, hey, if you do these five things, this is really going to move the needle in the business. And here's five case studies where that applied. So you asked about OKRs, just using that as an example. I didn't even know what an OKR was until <laughs> January 2021, which is kind of embarrassing. But I guess that the, the great thing when I look back in that regard is imagine where we'll be then now that we're using a lot of the systematic approaches that have a proven success to them. But the, yeah, as you said, I think like, uh, you know, like there are tons of business system that you can use. Uh, in the yeah. end, you still built, you know, like a, yeah. a billion dollar business without yeah. even having used to use them. So that's what I mean. Yeah. So imagine the next <laughs> 10 years, I'm like, this is going to be super easy now. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's that's awesome. Yeah. And before talking, you know, like about the growth acquisition, etc., and how you acquired your customers. Um, I've read that, uh, I think it was in 2016 or something, you sold about a quarter yeah. of your business and mm. then you decided to buy back uh, the people who had uh, yeah. acquired like this quarter. Can you like walk us through the story, why you decided yeah. to sell? Like, and yeah. yeah, so so again, not having a background in, in raising capital, right? Uh, the business, Ameripost, really sort of skipped a bunch of the what would be the typical stages you know a, a, a angel investor seed angel you know series a all this kind of stuff and so um you know it, during that time you know of course Maripost was building doing well and very profitable and, and so on and so naturally firms started reaching out and so at one point i was like okay these these numbers and it's it was public so it's not like it's a secret but you know we're starting to talk about 30 50 million dollars right it's a lot of money to to a lot of people or to everybody and, and so I couldn't really ignore it anymore. And so anyway, we went through a bit of a process. We spoke to about 120 firms, which was, was far too many back then. But um, yeah, ended up you know, meeting a great, great group of, uh, of, of guys who, uh, who really wanted to, to come in and, and ended up doing so, of course. And so the, the issue that we ran into was more of a philosophical one because Maripost was a fast growing, profitable business. And in the venture capital private equity world, typically the focus is how do we just grow at all costs? But I don't come from that background. I come from the background of building a long-term sustainable business. And whether that business is doing 10 million in revenue or, or 10 billion in revenue, frankly, I will always stick to those philosophies because again, I'm not, I'm not betting you know, the business on growing by 200% or so on. Um, but anyway, so ultimately, as we went through the journey, you know, it was going well, and then it started not going as well. And but it was really about that that philosophical difference. And so, um, yeah, in, in 2019, I, I you know bought them out and and carried on. Spent about eight months uh, bringing the business back to the the profile that that it, it is today and it was uh, uh, prior. And then made an acquisition. And anyway, we can get into that as well, but. It was it was a great journey. I mean, it was definitely a learning experience. It was a very expensive uh, learning experience, <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know that I would do anything differently because it still brought me here. And I'm I'm really wondering, like, uh, how exactly do you get the cash to buy back like uh, your investors? Yeah, good question. <laughs> so um, we were fortunate enough to be a profitable business already. So none of the investment was primary. None of the investment was going into Maripost. Mm-hmm. So effectively, what we did is we took the money, dumped it into a bank account or a trade, you know, investment account, left it alone. And so when this situation sort of un, un, unfolded or unraveled, we had all the money still sitting there. So okay. it wasn't too much of a point of friction. And and I do sp- spend a fair amount of time bringing that up, though. This is the 
the downside of the typical market. And Maripost has Maripost Ventures, so we do investments as well. And, but at the same time, you know, we don't want to be in a position where, as a founder, sorry, you don't want to be in a position where you have no out. And when you take 50 million, 100 million to, you know, unless you just, again, did the same thing in an all secondary round, it's really hard to, to ex- exit those situations, are, are almost impossible, I would say. And yeah, that's because I think it's uh, it's the first time I know, like, uh, I think it was maybe Buffer who uh, did like something similar where they bought out like uh, their investors, but it was. I that, but I, I've, yeah. I've never heard of another story funny enough. <laughs> I'll have to check that one. Yeah. But that's, that's really, yeah, really impressive. I think it's, uh, yes, first time I see it at this stage of businesses. So, yeah. so that's huge. And then you said you made like uh, another acquisition from, uh, I think it was an Australian company, yeah. right? Yeah. So in, um, so bought them out in mid 2019, you know, got about eight months later, then right, right just before COVID, uh, business is doing really well, COVID hits. Um, but in uh, January, or sorry, December 2020, um, acquired a company out of Australia because of the e-commerce centric uh, experience that they have. So a big part of our, our product suite is we are a commerce marketing automation and service solution. So commerce is online and retail. So e-commerce and retail point of sale, uh, marketing automation, email, SMS, and so on. And then the service side of things, ticketing, live chat, chatbot, and so on. And so um, we were building this solution, or this has been the vision of the business for the last six years. And so really what um, came up as a point of friction is, you know, we've got 10 years in marketing automation, which of course relates to e-commerce and all this, but there's just all these nuances, taxes, currencies, shipping, uh, and so on that we just didn't have the experience of. So yeah, we acquired a business again with no investment uh, uh, in at the end of 2020. We actually acquired another business at the end of 2021 as well, coincidentally also in Australia. Um, and right now we're acquiring our last uh, um, acquisition as part of this this very specific strategy uh, in Stockholm, Sweden. It actually closes next week. Nice. And uh, so, so what's kind of like uh, the idea whenever you do like acquisition? Because I guess like yeah. something that comes to your mind is, okay, we can either build it ourselves and try to compete or acquire someone and, uh, and try to like kind of leverage that. But at the same time, there is always these questions about will the culture be the same? Are the employees going to yeah. like stay with you, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. So we we were doing it more for the experience. Like obviously the customers and the the revenue is is a part of that, but we were looking for the expertise around e-commerce, around shipping, around taxes, around point of sale, around loyalty, things that we just we we knew about and we were we were sophisticated in, but we were not the experts. And so that was the driving force behind all of all of the acquisitions. In a way, with the exception of actually, no, and I would I would still include the the, the Stockholm one as well, which I obviously can't share yet. But um, so we that's really what we were looking for was just that expertise. Now that's uh, that's really cool. And how did the integration of the other company like uh, went? You know, because obviously you mentioned like COVID hit, so I don't know if it affected them like in a positive or negative way. Uh, if it's e-commerce, yeah, potentially positive. <laughs> yeah, one went really well. One did not go really well. <laughs> okay. I, I mean, I, I don't know the exact numbers, but you know, I hear ninety percent of them fail, seventy-five percent fail, eighty percent fail. I know the number is high in terms of failures. I mean, I think failure means a lot of things to a lot of people in these scenarios. But I think that I think what you said rings true. Um, and a couple of things I touched on before is is. In any acquisition, typically, right, the the acquiree is merging into a larger company. Right? I don't know very many 
smaller companies are acquiring, you know, large organizations. And so much to what you just said, the culture change, the systems are changing, you know, it, it all depends on how, how, how much the, the, you know, CEO or the founder, whoever is leading that organization is comfortable with change. Um, and that's, 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 that can be hit or miss because of course, when you're in the, you know, when you're in the, the, uh, you know, pre-acquisition stage, that's the honeymoon stage. So, Ross is on his best behavior. Guillaume is on his best behavior. Nobody's really saying all that much. Everything's great. Um, the reality is after the fact or when that comes in. So, you know, whenever anybody's acquiring a business, I mean, I, I can't speak enough to that that upfront, um, you know, exploration period, I guess you could say, interview period. <laughs> Very important. All right. <laughs> and uh, have you like... Uh... What have you done like to to make it work better? Maybe like the the second time or for, yeah, yeah, the second yeah. time has been phenomenal. So I don't want to okay. <laughs> I don't want to say too much there, but the it's, it's as I said. I mean, so what what did I do differently? I mean, what I did differently was I spent a lot more time with with the with the founder. I had other people from from the team and and from our board, you know, meet with the, the senior leadership. We we really did approach it more in a we were interviewing each other both on the personal and professional spectrum to ensure that you know, we're 120% aligned. And, and with, um, so the second one was a company called, or, or is a company called Retail Express. And, and the, uh, I was, so the one positive, I guess you could say between the two is both were in Australia, as I mentioned, I was not able to go to Australia right after the first one. I was just there for the first time in January of this year. Okay. Thankfully that was 30 days after we had acquired Retail Express but that would have been a year and 30 days after the former one. And so I think that played a, a, a part in it, but the great thing or a great kind of outcome for that was a uh, gentleman uh, at Retail Express, Aaron Blackman, you know, I, we got there, went for lunch immediately, had a couple of drinks and like, yeah, everything, we were just, we, we were <laughs> even more aligned than, than prior. Um, okay. And I don't know if that would have happened or could have happened with the, with the initial acquisition, but that's what happened on the second. So it was very, you know, fortuitous or, or the stars certainly aligned in that regard. No, but that's, that's really great. And I think like, uh, something I've seen also when you sell your business is like, once it's sold, you know, like, uh, it's, you, you never know what can happen because everything you said, you know, like during the interview in the end is also based on trust because people are going to make you recommendation, etc. But as a buyer, you might have also different strategy. You might want to change a few things. So it's, I guess it's always complex, but yeah. Yeah. I think being upfront on that and that piece was, and we certainly were, were very upfront about like what we wanted to do, how we wanted to do it. But I, I think that it's, again, it, it comes down to having that more broad um, interview, you know, relationship building strategies. And it's not just Ross and, and, and Aaron in this case, it's, you know, Ross and Aaron and our respective teams and our advisors and our board members and so on that really allow you to ensure again, much like you do in an interview process that, Hey, this is, this is where 99.9%, you know, success rate a hundred would be ideal, but nothing's ever a hundred. And so that, that I think was, was really just uh, very helpful, uh, I suppose. Now that's uh, that's cool. So if you had to redo this, uh, apart from maybe like the wouldn't interview. do it any different. <laughs> yeah, you know, even the first, even the the one that didn't go as smooth. Yeah, just for the learning experience. 
No, not for the learning experience. It was still a great business. I mean, okay. um, had had its pros certainly and had its cons just the same. But um, you know, we knew enough about the business. As I said, things could have gone better on the the people side of things. But uh, yeah, I would still I would still do it. And I'm also curious on the on the purely like uh, MRR like revenue perspective because you're adding obviously like a, a top line to your existing revenue. So you're because you were the company growing potentially like the fastest, when you do like this uh, merger and acquisition, you kind of like keep the same multiple while adding like more revenue. Was it like uh, one of your strategies to kind of like grow through acquisition? Like, do you see it as a long-term strategy or is it more like opportunistic? No, I mean, um, most, so, you know, as it pertains to valuations, uh, acquired revenue is looked at differently than organic revenue. Mm. it's not even half it's like maybe 10 or 20 percent uh difference and this is why you see you know it's maybe a bit difficult today like literally today with watching the public markets but when you look at a, a company that's growing by acquisition it's say let's say let's say two businesses doing 100 or let's say 500 million in revenue one's growing by acquisition one is growing organically the organic one is going to be you know a 10x multiple at a minimum still mm-hmm. today the the uh, acquisition one is going to be a two x multiple. Oh, okay, okay, okay. That's interesting. So very different. <laughs> yeah, I've spent and, a lot of time analyzing this. Not not for us in particular, but more for you know just out of interest in how companies are are growing in that regard. So we weren't we weren't looking to grow by acquisition. That wasn't like I said. That wasn't the strategy. Our vision for the from the product perspective has been the same for six years. This is just we needed that to get there faster. Otherwise, we'd be you know another 10 years in terms of just knowledge building and, and understanding. And I think I've seen uh, somewhere that you are actually doing uh, another secondary round or something like that. Yeah, I don't know if I said that. Oh, yeah, I guess I did. <laughs> yes, we're doing, um, this is a bit different. So I'm trying to remember what I have or haven't shared. <laughs> um, so, so we, we we're, we're not doing any we're, yeah we're doing something in that regard basically in the secondary sphere that relates also to building a global community of individuals and when i say global community i'm, t- I'm not talking about like 20 people here i'm talking about like 300 wow. uh, different parties who are who are you know getting involved with maripost now to help continue to grow and build that journey from a geographical perspective and so when i say geographical i'm saying that you know we want to have 80 people in in Australia, New Zealand, and 120 people in the US and Canada, and you know another uh, 100 people in in Europe who are are part of that that ecosystem. But um, and and you know given the opportunity to join for for the long term growth of the business. So is it more like uh, 300 like angel investors, like as individuals, know, yeah. or yeah, yeah, something okay. like that, yeah. All right, that's that sounds like uh, super hard to organize. <laughs> How are you uh, handling it? Yeah. Actually, this is probably one of the first times I'm going to uh, uh, refer to another product. So we were doing it on a spreadsheet, as you can imagine, to start, <laughs> which was super painful. And then um, we we found a product called Founder Suite, actually, and it was perfect for us because of the volume in particular. Um, and it's a small, small company. I, I, the, I believe the founder's name is Nathan. Anyway, Nathan something. And yeah, it was a perfect tool for us to aggregate everything and work on mass communication. Actually, and what we were looking for, because again, we're not just going to send out, you know, Outlook emails with with updates and requests and so on. They've, they've got a whole communication system built into it. So that was really, uh, really helpful. 
And this is how basically like uh, you keep people informed of like what monthly you send them like the monthly reporting, etc., to kind of like yeah. uh, warm them up before like the the actual investment. Exactly. Well, no, or no, well that too, but also more importantly to make requests, right? So we can mm. target everybody who's in who's in Sweden as an example. Okay. We're, we're you know we need a uh, a referral or a relationship or a connection to this company or we want to partner with these guys who can help. So it's really based on that strategy. I haven't again. I'm I, I'm not super exposed on this front, but I, I don't know of anybody actually who who's actually done this before. I, I don't know, and I don't know everybody, but um, I'm really I'm very excited about this model being part of our our journey and our strategy. Much like it, it seems like everything we do is is different <laughs> or the opposite. But that's good. I mean, this is how you create. So far, like, so uh, good. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's that's really awesome, and. Um, I'm, I want to go back a little bit, you know, about the, the acquisition process. So, you know, yeah. like how do you acquire customers? How did you get started? Um, yeah. Can you maybe like uh, let us know a bit more about who's your ideal customer profile? What's the typical like uh, average customer value? Yep. So our, our uh, ideal customer is a mid-market uh, e-commerce and or retailer. So it can be either direction where they're coming in. So we have retailers who have hundreds of locations, that's the core of the business. And obviously now with COVID, they're online as well. Or we have, you know, $200 million customer, revenue customers who are 100% online. And so, and of course we have other verticals and we have publishing customers, we have automotive, we have all across the board, but that is our, our, our target client. Our average customer pays us around um, $1,300 per, per month. So around okay. 16,000 or, or so per, per year. And um, what was the other part of the question? Uh, yeah, I was I was just wondering like the the oh, ACV. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, sorry, ACV. Yeah. So average or poo, whatever term you want to use, yeah. is around the sixteen thousand. And our our goal is to bring that to about sixty thousand uh, US dollars. Okay, so you're going yeah, up market or no, no, it's not so much about going up market as it is the cross selling through the application because we have okay. these three distinct areas. So customers come in through each one of each areas uh, area, yeah. and and so that is the piece that really allows for that expansion revenue to occur, uh, and that's the, the most important you know I guess you'd say factor in how we plan to build the business or grow the business. And do you have like uh, dedicated teams for upsell, or is it like everything yeah. within the product? And uh... today we have more dedicated teams for it. The goal is to have the product do more of the work for for you. So, Guillaume wants to add more users, wants to add more volume, wants to add service cloud, wants to add retail. He can do all of that in the platform, and if he really wants, you know, help or guidance or or what have you, of course, the team is there to do so. But that's the process we're working through right now. Well, that's that's yeah. really interesting. And that'll be a great con. I've never really shared this before, but that'll be the process from you know. 60 million to 600 million in revenue. That's how you build a real scaling organization, in my opinion. Like having a lot of cross-sell, you mean, or upsell? You need, the, the, product, you know, you need the ability, like a big, a big area of focus right now from the, you know, in the investment community is certainly the net revenue retention side of things. I don't think that's going anywhere, I think, but it's just become more of a focus. And so when you think of how can we increase our net revenue retention, you know, your customers are only going to be growing so fast for so long, right? Like it, it, it once you've built up a good base, a good, a good business, you know, having 150% or 130 above hundred is, is still quite difficult without having another area to, to sell into that. That's for sure. 
And was it the reason why you decided to first acquire this business so you can have like a higher uh, net retention or? A, li a little bit, but, but it was more, the, as I said, the businesses that we acquired were supplementing technology we either had built or we were planning to build. Okay. So it was, it was a, 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 it wasn't unknown, but of course it was a, it was part of the deal, I guess you could say. Yeah. No, that's, that's really interesting. And that's what I, companies yeah. want. Yeah. Sorry. No, have you like, uh, have you mapped out kind of like the ideal funnel for, because you mentioned, you know, like uh, that you have, let's say multiple products, let's call it product or offers. It's, it's one product, but multiple pillars. Okay. So multiple pillars with one product and people can enter through like different pillars and then you try to try to cross them. So have you like uh, really standardized kind of the, the ideal uh, customer journey, like Okay, let's say these customers enter through pillar one. Uh, I know it will go to pillar three first, then pillar two, et cetera. And how can I maximize? We haven't that? yet, funny enough. Okay. And that's, that's the interesting piece as we go through our initiative plans for you know, 2022, 2023, and so on. And that's where we really unpack though those, those areas of, of you know, who is, I think what you're really saying is like, which pillar do they come in uh, to to start that makes them most successful? Uh, as they work their way through the product. The reality is, I mean, and again, this isn't uh, specifically data-driven. My assessment is that's really the commerce side. If somebody's coming in, because, you know, you can't operate an e-commerce store without without a, a storefront uh, platform. Uh, you can't operate a retail shop without a point of sale system. So those are really the base at the end of the day that set the tone for Are they going to use marketing? Are they going to use, uh, um, excuse me, service cloud, you know, or are they going to go from online to retail or retail to online as well? So we haven't done all that analysis, but the analysis we have done, I mean, the, again, the growth is exponential. Now that's, that's super exciting because, you know, like uh, putting myself in your shoes, you know, I would yeah. just like go at, you know, like uh, all those things, look it, look, okay. looking, you know, at like uh, what customers are converting better yeah. on which pillars push like uh, the right content, ads, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. on your customers. And we, will, and we will do all that. And we have yeah. all of that data flowing in. It's just, this is probably a good good point to share. I mean, acquisitions are can be are really tough. They're really time consuming. Nothing happens overnight. So yeah. even the acquisition we're about to do in Stockholm, it's it's significantly smaller than the other ones. It'll be a little bit easier, but it's still, the, it's the same list of, uh, of difficulties or of pros and cons. You have to go through all the steps. Like you can't oh, yeah. take shortcuts. Yeah. yeah, there's no, yeah, there's no, there's no faster way to do it. It can be a lot slower if things aren't going well, but it's not going to be a lot faster if things are are, are going well. No, I agree. And um, something I want to mention also because I was like checking, you know, your content and everything, yeah. and you are very transparent about like uh, sharing your numbers and things like that. Like until what point? Were you feeling like you should update everyone publicly? Uh, because yeah. early on on this podcast, you know, it was like, let's say between 50 to 100. And I would say before that, it was maybe like much more yeah. precise. So yeah. did you feel like uh, at some point, you know, it's not necessary anymore to inform with precise numbers? Is it because of competition or what's... Uh, yeah. No, so it's a good question. And to be honest with you, it's more personal than, than professional yeah. in the reasoning. It just becomes so hard to remember who you shared what with, you know, with who on, right? So, you know, again, if we, you and I had a, had a meetup and I, I shared a number over, over some drinks and then somebody, you know, it's, it's just, it's hard. So you might as well just be open about it. I think yeah. it just becomes more complicated than, 
uh, like I was trying to remember before, I'm like, wait a minute, what article did I, you know, share this <laughs> number with? And I'm like, okay, I guess I did. <laughs> yeah, it's just easier. I, I'd say that that started, like I said, it was more, it was more personally driven. And that was probably about four or five years ago where I was like, mm. I'm just going to share everything with everybody. And if they like it, great. If they don't, well, too bad. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I read somewhere that uh, I around like 50% of your business was uh, driving word, like through word yeah. of mouth and the acquisition. So I'm curious, like how exactly, like, do you have a strategy in place to kind of uh, trigger more word of mouth or is it Not really that came kind of like naturally and okay. Yeah, it really came naturally. I mean, so Maripost as an organization comes from a, a more direct sales model. Uh, so we're going to events where we're, you know, taking, doing content marketing. We're not, you know, we weren't running as many ads or anything like that. We were doing, you know, sur uh, not surveys, but more like profiles and, and um, thought leadership and so on. And so that side of things is naturally more personal where we were building really close relationships with a lot of our customers, very large customers. And so then naturally they were constantly referring uh, customers to us. So now, though, where we are as a business is there's definitely a split. So we're probably still probably about 70, you know, revenue wise, probably about 70% comes from the direct sales side. But the, the you know, the ad driven, the, the you know, systematic customer acquisition is, is becoming a larger piece to the business. Like we have certain areas of the product where you can start with a free trial, certain areas don't have that, but everything will move into that direction. And so then no matter where you're coming in from, we may still be driving from a direct sales perspective, from an events marketing automate, you know, and so on and so forth. But it's not our, we're, we don't just have one channel anymore, but that's how we started. And that was what was responsible for the, the, the high um, referral numbers. Nice. And I think it'll all come back. I mean, I think at the end of the day, I come from a, a sales background, ironically, and I really love the product side of things. So I, you know, kind of married those together. And then have my my co-founder, who's just an exceptional engineer, and so that was really sort of the perfect mixture of of you know skills or capabilities. But I always liked the the customer side. I think it was it was why I built the business or how the business was built in the first place. So I think from a founder perspective, especially if you're dealing with larger customers, you know it's it's hard to keep doing it. But if I could do that all day every day now, I would. Do, that's what I would do. Yeah, that's yeah, and. And I'm curious because you're coming from like a, a sales background, as you mentioned. And mm -hmm. how did you transition from, you know, like being the one uh, closing the deals, doing sales up to, you know, like hiring a team and scaling it so more and more people could uh, actually like uh, grow the pipeline and the sales down the line? Yeah, it just kind of happened naturally, to be honest. I mean, we, we you know, started hiring senior salespeople, then started hiring sales leadership and so on. Um, and like I said, I don't like it, but that's that's that was really the the transition. I mean, the the great thing I think for us versus everybody else, and I, I do talk about this a fair amount, is that we took the business to a, a you know decent size without having to hire all those people. So like I had to do a lot of these different roles. Forget the sales side for a moment, but you had to do that role, and so you really gained a lot of appreciation and experience and so on that you don't get when you're you know raising fifty million and then just hiring all the people to do that. Like I would never trade that, uh, I guess you could say, in terms of the opposite approach. And I'm actually doing a, a, a panel at um, SaaS Stock, if you're familiar with that conference, yep. uh, specifically about this with a friend of mine where he's built a business uh, very successfully as well. We're almost the same size. And 
but he's he's got you know 20 investors and and you know and then Maripost is is Maripost. So we're gonna do this great. You're gonna get 300 soon. <laughs> yeah, but that's a different it's a different model, right? These I people know, have board seats and they have yeah. rights and yeah, it's a different strategy. No, but that's uh that's that's really interesting. And the to kind of like uh wrap up a little bit, um I, I want to ask you, you know, like um crossing like uh, these 300 people in your company, your role has definitely like switched and changed. You mentioned that for you, it was quite easy to kind of like level up uh, and grow as a business. One of your key role right now is to work on the strategy, on the vision and on kind of like motivating the team. So what mm -hmm. tips could you give, you know, like for people who are going through that stage and going through that growth phase in order like to, to really like build a kick-ass team help them grow, motivate them and define like a clear vision. Yeah, the, it goes back to the hiring component I mentioned before. So anybody who's getting into this sort of, you know, 20 million plus range, um, even arguably 10, your job very quickly. And I, I resisted this for a long time. I resisted becoming like the the the, the recruiter, I, I suppose you could say. So I was like, oh, you know, I, I'll just do it. Or, or we'll, you know, this person, we could just merge these roles together, you know, If, if you find yourself in that position, don't resist that. You know, it's, it, I, I will say, so we hired, you know, for the first time ever, our first, you know, real CFO just last week, just last week. So she's nine days in. <laughs> the, the amount of relief in these last nine days has been absolutely phenomenal. And so that would be the one thing that could I, would I have done it differently in going back? I would have invested another $100,000 into the, the right hire that can truly take the business because that also starts, you know, changes the the whole dynamic of the team number. One. And I'm not just talking about the CFO, you know, whether it's a chief sales officer, chief revenue officer, the people who really are, are experienced in these roles remove so much of that, that pain and that struggle from, from the founder, from, from the CEO. So I, I can't speak to that enough in terms of, of, and, and I have the same conversation. I was, just, I was talking to a, a, another friend of mine uh, who's also a customer yesterday a $35 million business, hired a, a you know, kind of junior director of, of finance to be his, his CFO. And he's like, you know, do you think this will work? I'm like, absolutely not. This <laughs> you know, like you need, a, you need somebody who's spent like 12 years at a public company, you know, in, in a mid-level position and then went to work at a, you know, a scale up for the next like four or five years. And I'm really defining the the resume of, of the CFO we just hired. Um, But that was, it was a funny conversation. I'm like, clearly I'm, you know, he's thinking the exact same thing I am and totally different businesses uh, or different markets, I guess you could say. And uh, how much time do you spend as a CEO to kind of like uh, ed hunt, you know, like uh, look for these talents, network, because yeah, you Last can go week, through like- Not yeah, very sorry. much. This week, a yeah. hundred times more. Okay. <laughs> I, I just kind of went through this realization and watching you know, this, this individual come into Maripost and, and just the instant impact that it's making. I'm like, I, I got to start recruiting here. I got to <laughs> stop doing everything else and just do that. And I mean, there's a lot of content out there about this. I mean, a lot of people recommending talking about how your, your only job at a, you know, 40 million plus company is, is recruitment. Um, it's like I said, I think people just naturally resist it because they built the, a business and they're like, I, you know, you're always trying to think of ways I don't need this extra person or I can find somebody junior and they will grow with the company. That's not a reality, unfortunately. 
Wow, that's a, a big slap in my face. We're <laughs> <laughs> doing the same thing. Yeah, because, you know, like, uh, I mean, we crossed 10 million like uh, um, a few months ago and I'm really uh, trying to think about structuring the team and everything. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, I want to stay a bit operational. So I look at everything, marketing, growth and everything. You've got to like, like that's not you. I mean, yeah. me, you, the, the next person, it's hard to let that part go. And that's what I meant. We were resisting yeah. <laughs> this kind of change. And, and that was, again, it's the only thing I would go back and, or not the only thing, but one of very few things I would, I would definitely do differently. I agree. I agree. I will have to uh, to start uh, ad hunting and meeting with more yeah. candidates. <laughs> yeah. It's too easy to do everything else. Like you said, it's yeah. too easy to get into the operations, into the sales, into the product, you know, because there are things that are, are exciting. Recruiting is not that exciting. Like it's great when you meet a great person, but there's a lot of steps that come before yeah. that. Most of the time you're like, shit, <laughs> you know, yeah, like exactly. I booked yeah. uh, some time with the wrong candidate. Exactly. Awesome. So we're almost like uh, out of time. So I want to finish like this, uh, this chat with three fire question. The first one is, uh, what is your favorite book or podcast for uh, bootstrap entrepreneurs? Yeah. Uh, so favorite book would probably be yeah, Elon Musk's autobiography. There's a lot of other great, great books. Actually, sorry, I shouldn't say that. Probably amp it up by Frank Slootman. I don't know if you're familiar with him. No. He's the Current CEO of Snowflake, he was, okay. if I'm not mistaken, also the CEO of ServiceNow. Um, phenomenal book, really resonates with you know with hard charging founders who are are looking for growth and and aggressive uh, uh, you know team strategies at, at all stages of, of building a business. Um, and on the podcast side of things, I don't listen to that many, so I should just say this one. <laughs> awesome, yeah. we'll put this. Yeah. <laughs> Um, who's your favorite uh, bootstrap founder and uh, why? I mean, so there's not that many, right? That's the the funny story. I mean, at, at scale, I mean, I've really admired what, um, and they've just sold, but what Ben Chestnut, I, I, I don't, we don't, ironically, we don't know each other, um, did with MailChimp, which they just sold for $10 billion to Intuit. I think That's they've been around for 20 years. They were doing, I'm going to get these numbers a little bit wrong, but I think about a half a billion dollars in yeah, in, in annual recurring revenue. That's no, no, crazy. no. They were about a billion in revenue, a half okay. a billion in profit. I have a billion in profit. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know anybody doing that. Uh, <laughs> I, say. I, I would have to say him. I mean, just because, yeah, they, they did such a great job with that with that company. Right, it's huge. And um, what's your favorite thing to do to regain energy during tough times? Yeah, um, I'd have to say anything that involves sunshine and, and warm weather. I have to be in some, I mean, I'm in Sweden now. It's not that warm. You're in Sweden and from Canada. Come on. <laughs> and then from Northern Canada as well, where it's really, really cold. Mm. Um, that's the only, really, that's the only way. Even if I'm at my desk, if I'm looking outside and there's sun and the ability to be outside or go for a run is very accessible. That's the fastest way I generate, you know, kind of uh, positive energy, I guess you could say. Oh, that's that's great. I'm aligned with that. And um, where can people follow you and follow the journey of yeah. Margovost? Uh, so certainly, I mean, Maripost.com, obviously, from the company perspective, um, I used to be more active on Instagram, which was just at Ross Andrew. Um, I'm a little more, yeah, probably there. I mean, then LinkedIn, obviously, would be the best. Certainly, everything that we do at Maripost goes up there. Thoughts, you know, feelings uh, around building business and executing and and bridging the gap between you know, living the founder life and, and, you know, making good decisions is, is always uh, coming up on LinkedIn. That's for sure. 
Awesome. Well, Ross, it was a pleasure having you on the podcast. Have an awesome day and let's keep in touch. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Bootstrap Stories, the only podcast where bootstrap entrepreneurs share their journey in all transparency. If you enjoyed this episode, don't hesitate to leave us a review. And in case you want to see the interview, all episodes are live on the YouTube channel. Check out the link in the description and hit subscribe if you haven't already. Have an amazing day and make sure to also join us in our amazing Bootstrap community where we all helped each other to become successful and grow a profitable business. Take care and talk to you soon.